welcome to the Boutique Hotel News podcast, where we share the latest news, comment and opinion from across the sector, along with thought-provoking interviews with industry leaders. My name's Eloise Hansen, news reporter at BHN and host of this week's episode. Here I am joined with Dr Whitney Austin Gray, Senior Vice President at the International Wellbuilding Institute, where we talk about the requirement for healthy buildings, how design will be inclusive of vulnerable populations, and rethinking roles and responsibilities. Why don't we begin, Whitney, with an explanation of a healthy building? So a healthy building is a place that you spend 90% of your time indoors. So if you're 50 years old, that means about 45 years of your life. And this is a building that's been designed to help you thrive. So from an evolutionary perspective, buildings protect us. Right? They protect us from threat, they can protect us from disease, uh, they protect us from natural man-made disasters, and they can promote health if done well. Currently, we look at one and three buildings in the world being a sick building. So buildings are either contributing <clears throat> to your health or potentially contributing to your sickness. So we want to do this right. And we have a good idea that when it comes to human health, it's not only about the physical health, but it's about your total social, mental, and physical well-being. So we create well buildings. So the International Well-Building Institute launched in 2014 the first building certification system in the world focused on human health. And the world's become a small place lately. And we're very excited that we represent 60 countries around the world and over a half billion square feet of projects that are well buildings, which means that they are looking at healthy air, ventilation, filtration, looking at humidity levels, mold issues, monitoring, sensor technology. We're looking at materials. What do you put in your building? Where did it come from? Is it off-gassing? A lot of focus recently on cleaning. Well, there's some products that will actually stay clean and we're looking at issues even of the microbiome and how you source those materials. We look at water quality. So do you know that the water you're drinking is healthy and safe? Uh, surprisingly, many buildings don't. So we will test, monitor, and track that. Mm -hmm. We'll also look at light. So it doesn't help the human to have light in the back of their head. So uh, we need to have light in the eye and that helps with circadian rhythm. It helps with being able to focus, productivity, sleep, a lot of interesting research emerging on vitamin D in response to COVID-19. So we know that light is so critically important and we want a building that gives you access to daylight. We want to, we want to see that uh, nature is represented. So the beige on beige on beige office that I, of the past, the 1950s model with the beige partitions and the beige cubicle um, and the beige carpet, we want instead for you to be thinking about how to bring beauty inside, access to nature. We know that this is directly linked with issues around biophilia, humans' innate connection to nature. Um, and this is really important for health. So we also look at some other things that are pretty important, like how do you move? What do you eat? Who do you work with? 
And these are really important qualities of also physical health, as well as mental health. So does your company look at mental health policies? What about sleep support? What happens if you need short and long-term disability? This is very important right now. We actually even look at remote work issues. So for us, a healthy building is going to be a building that if you are spending 90% of your time indoors, which for most of us in industrialized countries is the average, then you can design a building for health or you can design a building for disease. But we believe that you can design it also for total well-being, which is your physical, mental, and social well-being, which is going to take into account the air, the water, the light, and also your movement, your connection to people and what you eat. And in doing so, really create a total environment that allows people to thrive at their highest level. Mm -hmm. And since the outbreak of the novel coronavirus, there has been this monumental shift in public awareness of health and safety. And that has extended naturally towards our physical environment. So I'd like to know how, how can science and research of healthy buildings lead to a permanent change in the commercial real estate market? So my hope is that we will take this opportunity in the largest modern day work from home experiment and reconceptualize the buildings that we spend 90% of our time in. I think that this is a powerful time for creative solutions. Many people are reacting and are using this term new normal, which I think is interesting. And it implies that you want your normal back. It's going to change moving forward. The industries that are looking at the future state and not just recreating the past state in a new way will have selective advantage. So what does this mean in real estate? Well, uh, people are still going to be using all different types of buildings, whether that's your single family home as your new workspace, your multifamily residential, so they're rethinking social and amenity spaces and outdoor work zones, whether that's senior housing and rethinking about how people um, are living in these spaces and can protect themselves from potential infectious disease, borrowing from a lot of policies in healthcare. I think the hospitality space is going to be incredible. You're going to see some huge constraints come down, but with constraints come opportunities. I would argue that people in hospitality in many ways understand how humans and environments interact better than most because they're constantly tracking. Where do you enter? How long do you spend time? Where is your dwell space? Do you return? What do you think of the amenities we offer? So I think that's going to be an incredible space for innovation. The commercial space is going to change. This is not just, you know, wear a mask and stay six feet away from people. That's such a small, small part of a much longer complex issue. This is going to be about rethinking about how people feel safe. Do they trust their building? Mm -hmm. What will be the role of data, information? When people feel overwhelmed, they want information, right? That helps to deal with anxiety and stress levels. And ultimately, we will be looking to people to say, do you trust and do you manage your risk in returning to these different environments? And I think the companies that do it best will, will take that into account. They won't just say, this is a healthy building, trust us. Mm -hmm. They will pursue well and they will communicate to people, what are we doing with our ventilation? Which is one of the extremely important parts around infectious disease spread is viral load within the air. And so ventilation is critical 
right? What are we doing with our cleaning practices? What are we doing to make sure you feel safe? What are the policies in place so that if you do get sick that you can work from home? How did you get to work in the first place? And was that a safe path? So I think your my hope is that you're going to see, uh, I think, an incredible movement within healthy buildings. They will not be optional, they'll be required. I think people will want to see how to make the invisible visible by trusting their buildings. And they do that through communication. And a building needs to be able to say, not just that we did it, but you can trust the data. I think mm -hmm. you're gonna see performance monitoring, building monitoring systems, technology, be the portal for data communication for people to say, oh, oh here's what's going on in the building. Here's what I can trust. Here's what I understand is happening. I think you're going to see people reuse space in ways they never have before. So although there was one user group and maybe there's people thinking there's the, the new normal is the past where the same user group returns to the same function, um, I would encourage them to rethink that the space they initially thought was going to be for one type of user, maybe for multiple types of users at different times of the day with different needs. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remind people that during the recession, you really saw this huge boom of the WeWork um, space and co-working come out of people that were looking for a new space to be, had lost their jobs, lease spaces were low, lease terms were low, and all of a sudden you had these environments people said, I wanna go to a new place with new people I don't know and create community. Well, that's gonna shift a lot now too, right? But it is an interesting model, people rethinking space based on needs and being creative and agile in doing so. So I hold on to my hope that, um, not that it's the new normal, but it's going to be a future state. It's going to be a movement for healthy buildings, not to be optional, but to be required. And I think that data, information, transparency is going to be the name of the game. Mm -hmm. And I, I would assume that sort of moving forwards that focus on improving the health of a building will be at first targeted on those segments most at risk and you mentioned it earlier Whitney what, what immediately springs to my mind is senior living buildings senior living buildings sorry um, so where do you think we will see the most activity in this respect and why so there's no question that the pandemic has exposed and often exacerbated the scale and the depth of these inequalities in communities around the world. We're going to have to take a fair assessment of those vulnerabilities and provide solutions. But the other side of this is opportunity. So um, I'm very interested in research around the concept that we developed that if you design for the extremes, you can benefit the means. Mm -hmm. So you have vulnerable populations, whether those are aging, immunocompromised, there's a population that is now vulnerable that didn't used to be vulnerable because they have a loved one at home, because they're caring for, for someone, because they're pregnant, because they're in a class that says, wait a minute, during an era of infectious disease, I have a new vulnerability. Mm -hmm. You have people that are frontline workers, right, that are having split households trying to manage, right, that's kind of like contagion. You have another group of people that are neurodiverse, so or actually physically disabled, that previously found the workplace to be a very difficult situation and maybe an overstimulated environment where they couldn't focus, or commuting and transport options were not available due to their disability. 
all of a sudden this population may be able to be the next, the new worker in their at-home environment and manage those stimuli. Mm -hmm. So you have these exceptions in the population that I think have been pushed to the ends, right? To say, no, those are the extremes. We're in design for the majority of the population, the means. But if we pause and if we focus on those extremes, those are immunocompromised, those are neurodiverse, those that are vulnerable. And we don't look at that as a weakness. We look at that as an actual strength to understand resiliency and how we can design better for those populations. Then I think great, great things can happen. So let's look at healthcare, for example. Healthcare is the only building typology, I would argue, that is prepared to deal with viral spread and load. So they have, for example, 100% outdoor airflow, understanding that there can be, you know, trying to maintain contagion and mitigate it within those settings. Senior housing is not required to have 100% outdoor airflow, but this is an extreme population that's vulnerable in healthcare. Can we take what we've learned and apply it in senior housing? Yes, yes we can. We use ultraviolet germicidal radiation, UVGI, that's using your UVC technology. So you've heard of UVA or UVB, right? Um, this is UVC technology that we know can decrease uh, viral loads within HVAC systems. So that's designed for very vulnerable populations. For example, the burn unit in a hospital. Can we start to market these technologies so that everyone could gain access to senior housing? Yes, yes we could. And as more people demand it, the price goes down. And there's just countless examples of this where the more that we have sensitivity to these populations, I think that if we do truly design for the extremes, we can benefit the means. And what a powerful time for us to look at those extremes because they're being redefined now with new populations. And I think in doing so, we'll actually create more resilient environments for all. Mm -hmm. So let's look now at the, at the opportunities that has actually um, been presented because of this pandemic, um, especially in terms of rethinking the management and operations of a building. Tell me more about this. So I would love to see the chief wellness officer emerge. Mm -hmm. And this is someone that is skilled, educated and empowered to communicate to the building users the overall health of the building, health of the organization, and health of the people, uh, maybe even the frontline workers. Um, and in doing so, make people have a better understanding of how that company is investing for health. Mm -hmm. um, right now, if you walked into a building, would you know that? Like, would you know what they were doing if you walked into a hotel right now? What are they doing for their frontline service workers mm -hmm. to support and protect their health? What are they doing in the ventilation system or their cleaning practices? What are they doing as an organization so that if this comes back round in fall, which we do anticipate, this is not going anywhere. We're just trying to get a hold of managing and mitigating this risk. Um, from a public health perspective, that's scary, but there is anticipation there that as an organization to be resilient, this is not going away in the next month or two. What's your long-term plan? And are you communicating to your users? How are you resilient building? Mm -hmm. So when we go back 15, 20 years and we look at green buildings and we said, 
there needs to be someone in the facilities team that can better communicate what are you doing for energy efficiency. Mm -hmm. And at that time, there weren't a lot of professionals that had access to education and training, um, nor was their position closely reporting to the C-suite to be able to say, we're investing in energy efficient technologies that are going to be beneficial for sustainability. But in the last 20 years, that has changed. We see corporate real estate elevated on a very high level. We see direct reporting to the CFO, CEO. We see training for facilities management and sustainability careers. And we see them being elevated to have a powerful discourse with senior leadership. Mm -hmm. Right now, when we look at a healthy building, um, who do we go to that's communicating that to the CEO or the CFO? Um, yes, that's gonna be your facilities person, but also it's your HR person. Mm -hmm. So it's up to us to train these individuals to be educated and empowered, to directly be able to talk to the C-suite, present the data, present the business case um, to them to be able to say this investment is worthwhile. And um, at Well right now, it's, it's really exciting for us because we have a Well AP credential and we are offering anyone to be able to train on that for free which has never been available before. And for those that want to pursue their accreditation, there's actually um, a discount of upwards of 60%, or if you're out of work or a student, that is even further discounted. And 20% of our proceeds are going to Doctors Without Borders. So we are deeply invested in educating and empowering people. And I hope that in doing so, you will see the chief wellness officer emerge as part of a new management structure um, a new operation structure of a healthy building. So uh, my final question, Whitney, um, healthy buildings are perceived to be expensive, which may in turn lead to the cost of living increasing. What would be your response to this? And perhaps what can property owners do now to upgrade their offering? So health is not supposed to be on the discount shelf. I look at it like Snickers versus a granola bar. So when you look at the economic models, when it comes to a Snickers bar, you get immediate satisfaction from it, mm -hmm. right? But you don't get the long-term nutritional value. Mm -hmm. And so cheap and easy strategies for health um, are not investment strategies for the long-term. So the granola bar fills you up. It's an investment in your health over time. And that's how you have to look at a healthy building. So this, the buildings that we work with that invest for health don't consider it optional. They consider it a strategic aspect of how they're going to protect their workers and be resilient. And that couldn't be more important during a pandemic where buildings are saying, what have we done? Did we prepare? Was health optional? Was it on the discount shelf? Or did we actually invest? And I love the term investment because investment is about responsibility. You know, we know that that's something that maybe you don't get the immediate satisfaction of Snickers bar, but you do get the long-term results of saying, this is important for our health now. Mm -hmm. So with all that said, where do you start? So the well building standard is free to download online. And I'd encourage anyone listening to this is to start there and go through the crosswalk on your own building. So what am I doing for air quality? And do I have healthy food available? And check those boxes and figure out what could I be doing? And start with where you feel empowered today 
and know that there's going to be a plan in place that when you return, you may need to do further investments. But there are many things that users can do right now to get better access to light, better access to nature, to open the window, to increase ventilation, to rethink about the foods they're eating. And that's a really important and powerful part of this movement right now, is this is not requiring that you pursue well building in order to have a healthy building. But in the future, and well, right now, people do want data. So there will come a time where we need to see that you invested for health and didn't just say, that you uh, bought a granola bar, right? So we're gonna need to see that you are certifying that you're you know, communicating the data to people and that they can trust that, but don't wait. You know, I hope that many people listening to this podcast are empowered to have a voice and tell their neighbors and friends and clients the role they're playing. Um, I do believe right now that your facility manager, if not your designer and architect, may have a greater impact on the public's health right now than a physician. And that's not to say that physicians and our frontline workers couldn't be more critical at a time of responding to the disease, which is what they're trained to do. When it comes to promoting environments that can be helpful, support immunity of the host, and to prevent the, the uh, viral spread of a disease, this is where we need people in the building industry to step up and in, to be educated, to be empowered about being able to create healthy buildings today. Thanks for listening to the Boutique Hotel News podcast. If you'd like to keep up to date with industry news, head on over to boutiquehotelnews.com and sign up to our twice-weekly newsletter. Boutique Hotel News is part of the international hospitality media portfolio. This November, we launched the Urban Living Festival 2020 in London. We're inviting urban innovators and investors at the cutting edge of contemporary hospitality and real estate to look to the future and collectively define where we stay, live and work. Visit urbanlivingfestival.com for more details.